0: the message today. um, As I've been wanting to do, I want us to just start always with just a word of prayer. So I'd like us to just bow our heads as we we pray um, to receive what God has for us. I also just, my heart's heavy, as I'm sure many of you are with what's going on uh, overseas in the Ukraine. So I just want to say a moment, Lord, we just pray for peace. Lord, in our world. Lord, I pray for the Ukraine. I pray for the people that are under siege there. Lord, I just pray that you would end the hostilities. Lord, that you would be a prince of peace and bring peace there. Lord, and we are thankful that also the other scourge that we have all suffered from, the COVID virus, is, is starting to go down. Numbers are going down, but I pray you'd continue to heal people who are ill. Lord, protect those who are vulnerable. Lord, would you just help us again as the great healer? Would you come through and heal our land? And so, Father, we just, um, we just know that all these things that come up every day in our news feeds, Lord, we, um, we know that you are bigger than them all. And so we do not receive any anxiety and fear from that, Lord. We just give it to you and we just say, Lord, come. Lord, come and be real in our lives, Lord. We just submit ourselves to you. And we open our hearts today to the word that you bring to us, Lord, that you are the center as we were singing this morning, Lord. You're the center. In Jesus' name, amen. In the best-selling book, The Purpose-Driven Life, it starts with four words. Anyone know what the four words are? It's not about you. That's the first four words of the famous book, it's not about you. And he goes on, of course, to talk about the fact that life is not about just finding our own happiness and wealth, but it's about finding God's purposes for you. That's what the whole book is. It's a great book, highly recommended. But you know, I want to just get back to those four words, it's not about you. It's not about me. So, if it's not about you and it's not about me, who's it about? (laughs) It's about Jesus. We just sang it over and over again. It's just, it's about Jesus. We can make the Christian life about a lot of things. We can make it about the way we worship. We can make it about the way we baptize people. We can make it about how we handle COVID. We can make it about, um, you know, All kinds of things, social issues. We can make it about all kinds of things. And all of those things have some importance and we need to talk about them and do them so that we are a light to the world. But at the bottom line, at the foundation of everything we do, the reason we do everything we do here is Jesus. He is the foundation of it all. And the early church knew this. We were studying the book of Acts and the early church, the extraordinary life together the people of the book of Acts had. and, And they knew that Jesus was the center of it all. That's how they lived it. And so this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to look at them and how they lived in such a way that they knew that Jesus was the only way to be saved. They knew that he was the main message of their life. And he, they knew that he was worth giving their lives for. So we're going to talk about that today, and as we're going to start, we're going to start with a, a kind of longish passage, and so I actually asked Mike Duncan if he would come up and just read it, so you have a different voice, reading the scripture. Um, this is a story from Acts 4, it's Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, um, and he's going to be reading from uh, verse 1 to 22. All right, Mike Duncan.
1: The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men who believed grew to 5,000. The next day the rulers the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, By what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter filled what the Holy Spirit said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are called to a to be account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this: you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing before them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called him in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. And as for us, We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old.
0: It's a miracle when anyone over 40 is healed. can happen. It can happen to you. (laughs) Incidentally, it's those little details that just have the ring of of authenticity, right? That's that's it. I mean, like, you know, why would you throw that in there? There's so many great things about this passage, right? I mean, just... Just the man's healed. You know, the, the disciples are just boldly speaking out. They're like, Who are these guys? They're not even trained. They're just, you know, ordinary men, and yet they're speaking with all this power and filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, and it says they've been with Jesus. So they knew there was something different about them because they've been with Jesus. I love that the Sanhedrin are just nonplussed. They're like, What do we do with these men? Like, what are we going to do? <laughs> like, they're just completely lost. They don't know what to do with them. But most of all, what I love is the single mindedness of the disciples. They know what they're about. Take note of what Peter says when he's filled with the Holy Spirit in in verse 10 and 12. He says, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man stands before you healed. He doesn't say, We did it. We're so great. No, it's by the name of Jesus Christ. That's all. It's all about him. And then they go on to say, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we may be saved. They knew that Jesus was the only way to God. This was a huge foundation of the Christian faith, and it actually separates our faith from other faiths. And if you're wondering, it came from Jesus. Jesus is the one who said this. We didn't make this up. Jesus himself in John 14, 6, verse 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so this is what got the believers in a lot of trouble in early Rome because the Romans would not have minded if they wanted to worship Jesus as long as they also worship the emperor and all the other gods. That would have been fine. Add them to the pile. I mean, you know, more the merrier. They loved worshipping all these gods. It was because the disciples said, no, he's the only god. The rest of them are not gods. This is the only god. We're going to worship him. That's why they got thrown to the lions and beheaded and persecuted because of that exclusivity. And, you know, it's a li- not all that different today. Right? I mean, people are, okay, you want to worship Jesus, you do you. We'll worship anything. Anything goes. Uh, They're all equally ways to God. If we we said that, everybody would be fine, but the fact that we have this kind of crazy, audacious claim that Jesus is the only way, um, you know, that sounds very inflexible, right? Very narrow-minded. It sounds harsh, intolerant. And so this is a stumbling block. This is a hard point for us to, to hold in this day and age, in this world that we live in. Um, why can't Jesus just be one of the ways to God? I mean, come on. There's some truth in other religions, right? So why, why do we have to be so exclusive? And I wanna just say to you that it is true that there is some truth in other religions. It's not like everyone's got everything all wrong. There's some truth to be found, pieces of the truth that people have discovered throughout the years and all over the world. Obviously, Judaism has lots of truth in it about God, the creator and mighty and and power and so on. Islam knows truth about God, that he's a God of, of holiness and justice, they know that. Um, even Eastern religions, Buddhism and Hinduism, they know that there's a transcendence to God and that we can we can somehow touch the divine. But they're all just pieces of the truth. See, the truth is the truth, but they know pieces of the truth. And none of those truths will save us from our sins and bring us into relationship with God. Only Jesus does that. Only this this faith. Most other religions look to bring us to god to get us up there somehow and god's kind of far off saying let's see if you make it so either you, you try to do more good than bad right so you hope for the scales of your good and bad that the good is heavier you hope that and you'll get to heaven or you know you get into some kind of mental state so that you're like transcendent and brought into god it's all us trying to get to god only the christian faith has a god who said no i'm coming down to you i'm coming down to you i'm going to become like you, and I'm going to take care of your sin problem, which you do have. You have a sin problem. I'm going to take care of that, and we're going to be in relationship. This is so unique, so different, and it's the only way. Only the Christian faith has a God who loved us so much and wanted us to come near. But we do have a sin problem. We cannot approach him apart from the righteousness of Jesus. And the Bible is full of this. We could do, you know, a whole series on it but talking about the problem that our sin creates. Romans 3, 9 to 12 says this, Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one quite a statement. I think I'm a nice person. Yeah, no, but deep down we all have a rebellion against God without Jesus. We all have a rebellion against God. Habakkuk 1:13 says something else. This is talking about God. It says your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. See, there's a righteousness and a holiness about God that 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 evil cannot be in his presence. It doesn't mean that he can't love us and be, and be drawing us to himself when we are even in our sin. Of course, he does that. But he also, there's also justice. There's also judgment. And we cannot come into relationship with him and know him and be set free until we have his righteousness. We need, we need a savior. And then Romans 2.6 says, God will repay each person according to what they have done. Isn't that a frightening thought? If we are really truly repaid for all our thoughts and actions. Oh, this is why we need a savior. This is why we need a Savior. We can't do this on our own. We need grace, or as the Apostle Paul put it in Romans 7, what a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who will rescue me from my sin? And the answer is Jesus. It's been the answer all morning we sang it. It's the answer. Jesus came as a sacrifice for our sins. He has set us free. Because he shed his blood on the cross, we can be made new. See, we receive the righteousness that we don't have. We receive it from him because he died for us as a sacrifice for our sins. This is the gospel, people. This is what we believe. This is why he is the only way. He's a spotless lamb sacrificed, died for us and cleanses us with his blood. Romans 3.23, the Bible brims with this good news. This is the good news, right? It's all over the scripture, Romans 3.23 to 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We already got that. <laughs> but we're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And so you and I, all we have to do is receive it by faith. We have to say, yes, I believe. I believe that you died for me. And we, we receive it for ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is how we're reconciled to God. This is how we go into relationship with him. This is how we can, we can not live in the shame of our sins of the past but know that we stand before God with Jesus covering over us. His blood Covering over us. Lastly, I want to listen to this mighty passage from Romans 8. I love Romans 8. It's one of my favorite passages in all of, of the scripture, Romans 8, 1 to 3. He says, therefore, therefore, now that because Jesus has died for you, because you can receive it by faith, therefore, there is now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. Again, it's in Jesus. Because through Jesus, Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life Has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And then skipping ahead, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received has brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we say and we cry, Abba, Father. This is the gospel. This is the incredible, amazing, unbelievable news. It was, it was crazy news. No one had ever heard this, that your sins could be covered like this forever by the blood of Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, and we can receive it for ourselves. There's no other way. This is the good news that saves us. No, nothing else provides us this opportunity to come to Christ. I love the way um, Tim Keller talks about it. He says it this way. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. But yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And how do we obtain it for ourselves? How do we know that we are in Christ Jesus? It's interesting. Right at the launch of the church, I mean, the tongues of fire from Pentecost were still flickering, (laughs) And Peter gave the first sermon to the church, the new church. And at the end of it, people said, what are we going to do? How do we be saved? And this is what he says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The center of the wheel is Jesus. Repent and be baptized. Believe in him. And he, all our good works and all of our southern niceness and all of our things that we try to do, all the works we do out in the world and for one another, all of those are good, but that's not what saves us. What saves us is the center of the wheel is Jesus. And all we have to do is repent and believe. That's all we have to do. The disciples knew that this was the way to God. And it's available for every one of us this morning. You may say, I'm late to the party. I've been in church my whole life, but I don't know that I've ever really acknowledged Jesus' forgiveness of my sins. Well, there's no better day than today. There's no better day than to say, I believe. I repent and I believe. So Jesus knew that. They knew that Jesus was the only way to God, but not only that, they also knew that Jesus was the main message, therefore, of their life. Once they were forgiven and cleansed and made new and made a child of God and received the Holy Spirit, they could not stop talking about it. It's all they talked about. It was life-changing. It was transformational. It was so unbelievable and just crazy that they just kept talking about it. And I think in some ways it's kind of too bad that we live in such a Christianized nation. I'm not going to say we're a Christian nation, but we're very Christianized. Because in some ways this news is not really that new anymore. <laughs> right? I mean, we've kind of lost the wonder, the surprise about it. People hear about it on TV. There's churches on every street corner, especially down here, man. There's churches everywhere. Um, you know, everybody, most people grew up in some kind of faith home, Christian home, so they, we all kind of know about it, and so, you know, you believe in Jesus, big deal. So do a lot of other people. In fact, a lot of them aren't that nice, so what, you know, what's the big deal about Jesus? It's hard for it to get exciting, and so here's the thing. I think as a result, you and I, as believers, have become comfortable and lax. We figure, you know what, if they come to us, we'll be not, you know, they know where to find us. We got a big church, we got a big cross, you know. Like we, you know, there's a church down the street. If they want to find Jesus, they'll find us. So if they come, we'll be nice, but you know, that everybody knows about it. What do we have to say? I think we've forgotten that Jesus is the main message of our lives. He's the main message of your life. He's the main message of my life. If we're walking with him, can I just give you a little Holy Spirit? evangelistic fire right now. We have the greatest story ever told. We have the best news there is. Do you know that you are forgiven so completely that no matter what you ever did, I don't care how bad it was, no matter what you ever did or what you're ever even going to do or what you even already did today, God forgives you if you are in Christ Jesus. And not only that, But he's now filled you with his Holy Spirit, and so now you can walk every single day with Jesus right there, right here. And he's given you strength when you need strength. He'll give you peace when you're in a stressful situation, he'll give you joy when you're in trials. He's there with you all the time, he never ever leaves you. Do you realize that? And you realize that not only that, he wants to be close to you in relationship with you, that he formed you by his very hands in your mother's womb and he said, oh, I like him and I like her and boy, she's made my image and he's made in my image and I can't wait to get to know them and them especially to get to know me. And so God desires to be with you and every day you can talk to him and tell him all of your fears and anything that you're going through and he is right there and he loves you. Do you know that? Is there any better news than this? And then you, not only that, but you have love now because he's given you love and because we're so loved, we can start to pour it out to other people. And you want to know something? It'll never run dry because you got a fountain that you're, you're drawing from every single day that will never, ever stop. And we can be filled up with that fountain every day so we can pour it out, out to the world, out to people who are hurting, out to people that need love. And we've got that. And as if that wasn't enough, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm making a place for you in heaven. I got a little house up there for you, a nice little picket fence, and it's all painted nice for you. And you're going to come, and you never, ever, ever have to fear death. Again, I don't care if it comes tomorrow, or next week, or two, 20 years from now, or 30. You never have to fear it, because you know what's going to happen? You're going you're to die, and in a second, you're going to be in G- with Jesus, And a second. Is there any better news than this? Have we forgotten how good this news is? How life-changing this news is? We have all the riches of God before us like a banquet. And here's the thing. No one's going to really know about it unless you and I tell them. It's got to come out of our mouths. They don't wanna hear it from a televangelist on TV. They don't wanna hear it on a social media post. They wanna hear from you, does this thing really work? Is this really real? I mean like, is he real? They're, they are only gonna believe it from you. This generation, by the way, is very jaded about what they hear on TV, right? It's very easy to put stuff on TV, very easy to have a slick campaign. No, they don't want any of that. They wanna know, is this real? For you, and for you, and for you, and for you. Does it actually work? They have to hear about it from us so it's our job it's our job this is the main story of your life i don't care if you've gotten distracted with lots of other things there's lots of life to crowd this story out lots of life can crowd it out but this is the main story and so i'm going to ask you a question that i have to ask myself too do i love other people enough to get out of my comfort zone and talk about Jesus I don't mean in a crazy rude way standing on the street corners shouting at people I don't mean that but I mean in a winsome way in a way that just says this is what God has done in my life in a way that helps people and their need but also says hey you know what I I know how I deal with stress it's because of Jesus I know how I help my marriage we pray together you know have we are we able to do that one of the things that I've done here at, um, at Gate City in our staffing is set up a, a review process so that all the staff, including myself, will get reviewed once a year. And we just did one to for the, the, my first six months here. And so uh, we did a self-review where each one of us filled out a thing to say our own weaknesses and strengths and our goals and all that, and and then also Uh, your supervisor filled it out, so I filled it out for the staff, but also the board filled out one for me, and I also had the people working for me who, you know, filled out one for me, so I got like a 360, and then I got all the feedback, and I don't care who you are, that's always humbling, I mean, even if it's good, it's always humbling, right, to get a review, Um, and they were very loving and very nice and very happy, and and so it was all good, but one of the things the board said to me was a challenge, and they said, look, you know, the first six or seven months you've been here, you've been rightly so focused on just getting to know everybody in the church, and tons and tons of stuff here in this building to just get things kind of going and, note and learn what I'm supposed to do and all of that. And that's been right and that's been good, but now it's time for me to get out and start to meet people in the community and start to get to know people and find ways to be more in the community. And I couldn't agree more, but I will tell you what I told them, which is that this is a little more out of my comfort zone. I mean, I can do this till the cow come home. This is easier for me. But be out and meeting new people and especially people that might be, don't know about my faith or wouldn't care about it or whatever, like it just, that's a little more out of my comfort zone. And I share this with you to be transparent with you to say, I'm getting out of my comfort zone too. I'm not asking you to do something that I am not also doing, okay? We need to stop being so comfortable and realize that we've got a great story to tell. We've got a great story to tell. And here's the thing, here's what we learned from Acts. Acts. The apostles didn't need to be told or challenged. They just did it, right? They just talked about Jesus. They could not help it. They used every method available. They spoke differently to certain people than to others given their culture, background. Like they were smart about it. They were creative about it. They were loving about it. But they also didn't whine about how hard it was. They never said, oh, it's too secular, I can't do it, you know, people don't like it, or they get mad at me, or whatever. Like, they didn't say any of that. They didn't say, oh, we don't have a good enough, you know, praise band or church building to invite people to. No, they didn't say any of that. They just went out and talked about what Jesus had done in their own life. That's what they did. Jesus said to us, and this is for all of us, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And Paul said it this way, we try to persuade others for Christ's love compels us. I love that word. Compels us. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. May Christ's love compel us. Finally, what we know from the disciples is that Jesus was worth their whole lives. There's another story in Acts. It's only a chapter later from what Mike read to us. It's in Acts 5. I'm going to read you this story. Um, this is a great story, so I want you to follow it. Okay, try to picture it as I'm reading it because they're both great stories. There's another one. So this is Acts 5, starting in verse 17. Here's what happens. The Apostles had just been performing a whole bunch of signs and wonders, all right? So it says this. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy at the, at the disciples. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. Now, when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail to get the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, there was no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. And then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. And at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They didn't use force because they feared that the people would stone them. So the apostles were brought in, made to appear before the Sanhedrin, to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. And that was back in in the chapter that Mike read, right? They said, "Don't, don't do it. They're still doing it. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Now there's some discussion here. A Pharisee named Gamaliel convinced them not to kill them. There's a whole, it goes on, so I'm not going to read all of that. But then finally it says, They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let him go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Love it, right? Very similar in a way to Acts the 4. They were passionate to talk about Jesus. There was a fire inside them. They never stopped. It doesn't matter how many times they were told not to. They kept doing it. Even if they told them not to, they kind of did it more. I like to think that they're kind of like New Yorkers. If you tell a New Yorker not to do something, they're probably gonna do it just because you told them not to do it, even if they weren't actually originally gonna do it, but now they're gonna do it because you told them not to. That's just the way it goes if you think I'm kidding. Uh, You haven't been to New York. So the apostles kind of had that attitude. They're like, tell me, tell me I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. There's some humor here in this situation. I think of this as like a sitcom where, you know, the angel's letting them out like the back door, apparently, because the front door was, was locked, right? They're in the jail, and then the nothing, there's no opening in the jail, but they, you know, somehow they're out here, and then the Sanhedrin come, and like, where are they? Well, I don't know where they are. Where, where, I thought they were in there. No, they're not. Oh, no, they're out there. It's like a who's on first kind of routine, and then finally they say, oh, well, they're out there. They go get them. They bring them back. They talk to them. They flog them, and then they say, well, what are they doing now? Well, they're back out there talking about it. So, you know, it's kind of humorous. It's amazing, really. But it's also something a little sinister about this one as compared to the last one. Because if you, if you notice, the punishment, punishment got worse. In Acts 4, they basically just got a slap in the wrist, stop it. This time they got flogged. And that would continue to get worse and worse until every single apostle except for John would be martyred, murdered for their faith, every single one of them. The faith in these people in Acts was real. This was no shallow cultural faith. This was no, I go to church because my wife makes me or because my parents made me or whatever. Like, this is not that kind of faith. This is real. It was real, it was personal, and they were willing to stake their whole lives on it. In fact, this is one of the ways, reasons I think that, you know, it's kind of proof of the resurrection because these disciples would never have staked their life on it if they had just been secretly hiding the body, like some people tried to say they would have, they would have said you know heck no here's the body you know let's let's go let's get out of here they knew it they saw jesus resurrected they knew it was true and they they were willing to stake their life on it, it didn't matter if they were thrown in jail or beaten or killed i'm convicted by this kind of faith Amen. it kind of sends a chill down my back a little bit lord make me make me that bold make me that convinced I believe, but help my unbelief, Lord, that I'd be so convinced that this is the way, that I'd be willing to give my whole life to it. May I stop worrying about what other people think, what our culture thinks, but just be bold to speak the words God gives me to speak about what he has done in my life. Reminds me of that. I could, when I was preparing this, I couldn't help thinking over and over again about that old hymn. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme in glory. To tell the old, old story. Of Jesus and his love. I can't wait to tell the story about Jesus. Love to tell the story to whoever would listen. And so we're looking at the book of Acts and the extraordinary church, the extraordinary life of the church in Acts, and we see that it's all about Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior of the world. He's everything. And you and I stand in a long line of those saints all the way back from the early church all the way through all the ages till now. We've all had the same thing happen to us. Jesus has changed our hearts. He's made us new. He's forgiven our sins. He's taken them as far as the east is from the west. He has given you his spirit, and he's working in your life. He's walking with you every day. He's got a a message within you that needs to get out. Jesus is the center. And so I want us to just bow our heads and pray. Lord God, we've prayed it now a couple of times. It's interesting that you told Charles the same thing you were telling me. Are you the center? Lord, we want you to be the center of our lives. And so this morning we we just ask that you would speak to us, Lord. We're about to go into a time of communion. In fact, I'm gonna ask the communion servers and the and the band to come on up at this point. And it's interesting that at the time of you know communion is all about Jesus, it's all about what you did for us, Lord, that you died for us, that your body and blood we, we receive that by faith, proclaiming your death until you come back. We're... And so this morning we want to um, come before you. If we if we've never really believed, if we've never really said to you, yes, God, I believe that you died for my sins and would you forgive me? If that's something that's never come out of your mouth, this is a moment for you to, to do that. To say, Lord, I, I believe. I want to become a child of God. And so if that's you this morning, I want you to pray with me, Lord, just I, I believe that you're the son of God and that you died for my sins. That's what we're celebrating here at communion. And so I want to take communion this morning as a child of God. Forgive me my sins, Lord. Bring me into your kingdom. Make me a child of God. And for some of us, as as we prayed a little bit earlier, it, it may be that we know Jesus, but he's gone a little off center for us. A lot of other things have crowded out the center of our life. We know it. So God, we're, we're going to do a little movement this morning and we're just going to bring you back to the center. I don't know what that's going to mean, Lord. If it means I'm going to change the way I order my day. Maybe it's just going to change some relationships or some activities I'm part of. I don't know, Lord. Maybe it's just sort of a, a, a reorientation of my mind, Lord. But I want to make you the center. I'm sorry for having put you off center, Lord. Forgive me. And Lord, I thank you for every one of us, Lord. We, we come before you, each one of us who knows you, and say, have we been telling your story? Make us bold, Lord, to tell what you've done. Give us opportunities. Give us ears to hear. Eyes to see. People that are searching for you, Lord. We don't want to push on somebody that doesn't want to know you, but Lord, open up our eyes to those who are seeking you that we can speak words of life. So this is a holy moment for us to take communion and so we take this with reverence and with thanksgiving Lord thank you that you gave us this to remember what you did for us to bring us right back to the beginning to Jesus On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord took the bread and broke it. And said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. In the same way he took the cup, said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. So this morning I invite you to come forward to receive there's gluten-free option for you. I encourage you to take the bread on your own as a sign of your symbol of your personal walk with Jesus that you've made that commitment to him. But then hold on to the cup. We're going to take it all together as soon as everyone has been served. Feel free to come forward.
2: hill where blood was spilled for my ransom and everything I once held dear I count For my sin and death, now you're risen, and everything I once held dear, I count.
0: about what jesus did for us and how he died for us is that not only does it affect you personally transforms you personally but it it creates a community He didn't just have one disciple he had 12 when he did that first communion that first last supper and then they gave this to the church to do this in remembrance of me it's because we're in community That we can walk this life out you can't really do this alone it's not just about you it's about all of us and how we then touch the world and so as we're taking the cup today would you be thankful to God for this community that he's put us in where we can be saved set free healed and enjoy one another and be sent out what a what a blessing what a blessing So, Lord, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for spilling your blood for us and and for what you have done for this community and that you have a plan for us. And we just say, yes, Lord, yes. Let's take a drink. Amen. I think I'm going to invite you to stand as we're going to sing our last song. all our hearts to the Lord.
3: breaks the power, who breaks the power of sin and darkness, whose love is mighty and so much stronger, the King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder, and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder. The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace, this is unfailing love that you would take my place let's put our hands together this morning that you would bear my cross
1: you laid down
3: your life that i would be set free oh jesus i sing for all that you've done for me who brings our chaos Who brings our chaos back into order, who makes the orphan a son and daughter, the King of glory, the King of glory, who rules the nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in all of its brilliance, the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace This is a failing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set free Oh, Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me. And worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Oh, worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Oh, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Oh, worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Oh, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the king Who conquered the grave Worthy is the lamb Who was slain Worthy, worthy, worthy Oh, this is Amazing grace This is Unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life, that I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. One more time. This is amazing, this is, amazing grace. This is unfailing Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. One more time. Jesus, I sing. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Amen. Hallelujah. We bless you, God.
0: This has been fun. Am I on? Let's see, there we go. Um, Two quick announcements as before I dismiss us today. First of all, next week, I think we have a slide for it, is daylight savings time, spring forward. So don't (laughs) mess it up, okay? Uh, So remember that. Um, And the other really exciting thing about next week is we have a special guest who's coming, uh, kind of at the last minute. This is um, John Elmer. He is our super regional leader in the Vineyard. Vineyard just recently did a big reorg, and they have organized the whole country, all the churches, under three super regional leaders. We also have regional leaders under them, but these guys are set apart, and women are set apart to um, really oversee the churches. And for the first time, they're like actually paid by Vineyard USA to really watch over the churches and the pastors and just you know, be there for us, and so John Elmer happens to be in our neighborhood next week, so I was like yes, come speak, so he's gonna come and speak to us, I don't really know what he's gonna talk about yet, but it'll be something great, he's a great speaker, um, a really, really good man, and is gonna be able to just really connect us to what's going on in the vineyard, so I'm kind of excited about that, it's gonna be a lovely time, so do make sure you come out for that next week. Let me just pray for you, Lord God, I just pray that you would just fill this, this body, this people, each one of us Lord, with the joy of our salvation, God, that you have done it. We are so thankful for what you have done and for your great love for each one of us. Or may we walk in it today in the power of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen. Have a great day.